choir this morning for leading us in worship. As we move to this part of the service, I'm always intrigued with the preaching event. The time of preaching because God takes the effort of man and His infallible Word and His Spirit and infuses it into the heart and life of each person in unique ways and takes that Word and moves in conviction and inspiration and encouragement and correction. All of those things happening at the same time when someone preaches. You know, preaching takes shape. It it takes the shape in some levels of the personality of the preacher. You've probably been around some preachers that are more encouraging than others and in different ways. My dad always said encouragement comes in two forms. Sometimes it's a pat on the back and sometimes it's a pat a little lower and you can be encouraged by either. Some of you will appreciate that a little later. You'll go home and that'll resonate. You can be encouraged in different ways. You can be encouraged with a cattle prod, right? You've you've probably met some preachers, though, that were encouraging. That was just a gift of exhortation. Some preaching takes the form of you ought to. You ever heard a you ought to sermon? You walked away and you felt compelled, convicted, or guilty. I ought to fill in the blank, whatever it is. They, They really pressed into you a desire, a need, an awakening to the fact that you needed to do something or be something. Some preaching takes on the form of you can. Again, it's encouraging, and you walk away with a sense of expectancy. I can do all things through Christ. I can make it through this week. I can pray without ceasing. I can do what the Word challenges me to do. I can be a witness. It's enabling preaching. Well, today, I want, to, I want you to see that this will really be one of those sermons that's a mixture. It kind of meets in the middle. It's an ought-to sermon, but at the same time, it's a can-do sermon. And I want us to, to see those two wed right in the heart of this issue of spiritual warfare that we've been talking about. I believe some things are starting to shake loose. I've had more gospel conversations in the last two weeks than I've had in the first six months that I was here. I've had more people intrigued with and asking questions about Jesus Christ in their life, and I'm thankful for that. I I really believe that we're seeing and sensing the rumblings of revival in this place. I I don't know about your heart, but as I've, I've, I've prayed with my prayer partners every single day, I've just had this growing sense that God is on the move and wanting to do something. And as I read my Bible with one hand open to the newspaper and the other and look at the the backdrop of the culture that's around us, I, I begin to look at both of these things and I say, either Jesus is going to come back very soon or He's going to judge our nation in ways that we've never seen or we're going to experience revival like we've never seen. And it may be all three. We may experience the judgment of God, a revival of God's people, and then the return of Jesus Christ. And I say, come, Lord Jesus, even so. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 19. I've entitled this morning's message, A Church That Threatens Hell. A church that wakes up hell. I want us to look at our church in light of the New Testament church and and think about the church in America. And again, this may be one of those ought-to moments where you say, well, the preacher's about to just really lay it on us about what we ought to be, what we ought to do. But I want to tell you that this will be a wed, 
a, a wedding point of can do and ought to, that we can be that kind of a church. And the pattern that is there is still available to us because we serve the same God. We're in, infused with the power of the same Spirit. We are encouraged by the, the same motivation of the Word of God that they had. And so together today, we can experience that kind of revival. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Follow along with me. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even faith cloths or handkerchiefs, if you will, uh, or work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you, or I adjure you by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Get the picture here. The Spirit of God is working mightily in the infancy of the church. The apostles knew that Jesus was alive. They'd seen him. They'd experienced him. They'd talked with him. They'd walked with him. And now God is infusing power into Paul's ministry, and it's showing itself in a demonstration of miraculous signs. Even handkerchiefs that were brought to Paul and he touched were sent out and the sick would touch them and they were healed. Sometimes we long for experiences and it's not about the experience. We'll see the end result of a real revival in a moment. But as we think about that, there were those who were itinerant exorcists. These Jews would literally go around. Evidently, there was so much evil in Ephesus and potentially so much money to be made because they were professionals. They would go and they would try to cast out demons. They would try to heal the sick. They would try to do different things with power. But they had no power because they had no source of power. In fact, we read it in the text. It said that they used this as their formula. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached, we cast you out. There was not a first-hand knowledge. There was not a first-hand focus. It was trying to use the name of Jesus for their own gain. And they did it third-hand. This Jesus whom Paul preaches about is the power that we want to adjure to cast out this demon. What was the result? Follow along with me. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this very thing. And one day... Verse 15, what does it say? The evil spirit answered them. Wow. I know Jesus. I recognize Paul. But who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit leapt on them and overpowered them all. How many of them were there? This is a seven-on-one fight, but it wasn't a fair fight. This supernatural being jumped on all seven of them, prevailed against them, so they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Look at verse 17. Here's the result. This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus. I think that's quite an understatement, don't you? Hey, did y'all hear about that story of the sons of Sceva? No, it was everywhere news. Look at it. This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And then fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord was magnified. 
And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. And then you see the, the value of what they burned. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. I want us to pray together, and then I want us to ask ourselves the question, how well are we known in hell? Are we a church that threatens the very existence of the forces of evil? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would not be something that we would try to sensationalize as we've read your word. This is an account of what happened in that city. God, I pray that you would move in our midst today. Help us to see with grave urgency our need to stand in your power and in your strength, our desperate need to call upon you to live for you. Father God, help us to see in very practical ways the application of spiritual warfare in our daily lives, even for this week. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The most recent statistics say that Southern Baptists this year will baptize no more than we baptized in 1950. Southern Baptists this year, and in fact, evangelical churches across the board in America right now, 85% of them are plateaued are declining. That means in the last 10 years they've had no gain in attendance, they've held their own, or they've curbed off, they've lost attendance. 85%. The churches that are growing in America, by the, the vast majority of those are growing by getting sheep from other churches. We're just swapping sheep. And I hear the echo of this demon voice who says, Jesus I know, Paul I know about. You don't scare me. You don't bother me. Hardy Street Baptist Church, keep doing what you're doing as long as it doesn't make an eternal difference is what the enemy would say to us. Keep having your programs. Keep having your music. Keep having your meetings. Keep having your potlucks. Keep enjoying all those things as long as it doesn't impact eternity. You see, the demons know Jesus. You better believe they know Jesus. When he answered and said that, it took me all throughout Scripture this week as I found myself running the pages of Scripture and just seeing what did they say. They called him the Holy One of Israel. Almost every time a demon encountered Jesus in his incarnate state, when he was here on earth, they would say, what will you do with us? In fact, there were times they said, don't throw us into the abyss. They knew that Jesus had the power with one word to cast them into complete judgment. They know Jesus. They know that he has power. They know that he controlled their destiny. Jesus I know. Paul I know. But you're not even on my radar. These men who were trying to do things in the name of Jesus, there were religious activities going on, but they had no power. The Bible says in the last days they would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. I'm so sick and tired of Christians today not being salt and not being light and not taking a stand. And I'm not just talking about a political statement. And I'm not just talking about putting your opinion on Facebook. Some of us believe that it's persecution if somebody doesn't like our post on Facebook. That, my friend, is not persecution. 
the Bible is very, very clear about our lives and we are to be the light of the world. We are to impact lostness. And yet I believe that as the culture around us gets darker and darker, we have removed ourselves from the very source of power that God wants to bring into this place and into the hearts and lives of people and the revival that He wants to send. There's the ought to part. We ought to live differently. What's the can-do part, Pastor? I'm discouraged right now. I'm frustrated. I watch the news and I just wring my hands and say, what is this world coming to? Well, let me tell you, it's not about what the world's coming to. It's who's coming to this world, and His name is Jesus. He's coming again. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from it. He's already won it. So let's go back and look at this early church and see why they saw thousands saved, why they saw miraculous signs, why they saw God moving in powerful ways. Does that interest you at all? I pray that it does. I pray that you're not thinking about fried chicken that you'll have later. I pray that you're focused and saying, Oh God, if you don't show up in our nation, our nation is headed for ruin. Pardon me if I get a little fired up this morning. My heart is so broken. There were 120 that gathered in the upper room and they gathered in the place where they was to pray was shaken. When's the last time you were in a shaking prayer meeting? When's the last time this church had these stairs, this altar filled with tears because we were crying out and saying, God save my neighbors. When is the last time the early church had five things that we must see this morning? We must see. These were common people filled with extraordinary power, and they turned the world upside down. They reached into the cities. Here's my question for us. If 85% of our churches are flatlined, which means death, or dying off, they're plateaued or declining, then where is the problem? Oh, may God raise up churches that shake hell. May God raise this church to be a church that threatens hell. May God begin to help us live with such power that hell knows us by name. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. Paul, he's a tough one. He's given himself for this gospel. I mean, we've tried all that we could to, to, to get him silenced, the demons say. Paul, if you don't shut up, we'll beat you with lashes. Well, I will bear those marks in my body as marks of grace. Paul, if you don't shut up, then we're going to throw you into prison. Wonderful. I'll lead guards to Jesus. I just see Paul chained to a praetorian guard, and that guy is running from Paul, and they're chained together. And he's going, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus will save you. And this guy's got one finger in his ear and one finger, arm chained to Paul, and he's just running away from him. But Paul can't, this guy can't get away. Paul, if you don't shut up, we will kill you. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Send me to Jesus today. He, he was, you can't kill a dead man. He had given up his rights to Jesus and said, whatever it takes, I'll suffer all for the cause of Christ. Church family, let me take you through these five things. Number one, and we're just going to walk through the book of Acts, just some random scriptures that we see, various scriptures. Number one, the church uh, the early church was supernaturally united. Supernaturally united. God brought them together. We can look at this from several places in Scripture. Acts 1.14, they were continually in one uh, accord. They were continually united in prayer. 
Acts 4.24, it says that they lifted their voices in one accord. Acts 4.32, they very, it's very clearly laid out of one heart, one soul, all things were held in common. We studied that a couple of weeks ago. They said, if you have a need and I have a provision, you don't have a need anymore. We'll meet that need. They loved each other, and they cared for each other. I'm afraid that we have lost sight of this. This is when God makes the church one. It's supernatural unity. Because you get five Baptists together, and you've got nine opinions. You know it's true. The story goes that the man is found on a deserted island. They get there, and there are three huts, three structures. And they say, what is that? He was on the island by himself. He said, that is my house. That's where I live. And they said, well, what is that building? He said, that's my church. He said, that's where I worship. And they said, what's that building? He said, that's where I used to go to church. Some of you will get that later too. We can't get along with ourselves. But the early church had a supernatural empowerment to be one because they were one in Christ. You see, when you and I make anything about you or I, we've missed it. It's not about us. It's about Him. And when we line ourselves up with the preferences of Jesus, with the the desires of Jesus, our worship should be so focused on pleasing Him. We've developed an American idol mentality with worship. We rate the songs. We say, well, that one was a little pitchy. That one was a little fast. That one was really good. I liked it. And it's all about I. We've got I problems in the church. There needs to be a we And it's under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the early church threatened hell because they were supernaturally united. How do we deal with this practically? Let me give you a very quick note. If you're mad with somebody, if you're bitter, and you're hanging on to something, you just flat need to get over it. You need to ask Jesus to help you let that go. You need to look at whatever it is that they did to you and... Amen. You need to look at that in light of whatever you've done to Jesus and say, if he was willing to forgive me of all that I've done, in spite of me, he loved me. You need to love other people with that kind of love. Some of you think you're justified in that bitterness, and you're not going to deal with it until they hurt like you hurt, or until you get even with them, or until they apologize to you. Aren't you thankful that Romans 5, 8 is in the Bible. God demonstrated His love toward us in this, that while we were apologizing to Him, He decided to forgive us. It's not at all what it says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was a supernatural unity because they were willing to let go of personal preference and pride and say, Jesus, it's about you, not me. Number two, I want you to see this. Well, let me just say it this way. As long as we fight with each other over anything, we will not threaten hell. That's worth repeating. As long as the church is fighting with itself, it will not threaten hell. We have an enemy, and the enemy is not one another. The enemy is the devil and his demons, powers and principalities in high spiritual authority. Number two, the early church was externally focused. The early church was externally focused. Acts 1.8, we've already mentioned it this morning. Here's the clear call and mandate. You shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They weren't looking at themselves. They were saying, we have this glorious good news, and it's too good to keep to ourselves. Let's share it with everybody. And what do we do today? 
We said, we're going to open the front doors, 1508 Hardy Street. Bless God, if they want it, come get it. It's here. We're here. And then if they come and sit in our seat, we get mad about it. Hello? Now, that's not here. I know. I'm picking. I'm going to make somebody mad. They're going to write me a letter tomorrow and say, Brother Scott, I didn't mean to say that. If you said that, repent of it. But I wasn't talking about you. I just know our tribe, our Baptist tribe is like that. Let me just, as clearly as I can say this, when's the last time you loved someone enough to go and, and step across all of the sweaty palm nerves that it takes to tell them the good news about Jesus? Have you ever shared the gospel once? I've been here six months. Five months ago, I gave you a great gift. I said, here's a way for you to share your story. You can go all around these buildings and find little cards, what I value most. You ought to walk out of this place every time you leave with ten cards in your pocket, in your wallet, in your purse, ready to share the gospel. That's externally focused. That means that you have loaded up your story on what I value most, and you're ready to share it. The church was externally focused. You see, when we focus on our preferences, our needs, our desires, our longings, we've missed it, and it goes back to number one. We start fighting over what we want. And when we fight, we don't threaten hell. And when we're focused on ourselves, we don't threaten hell. Right? I, I just can't make that any more clearly. Acts 1 the mandate. Acts 2, Peter preaches and thousands get saved. Acts 3, they reach out to a lame man. They're reaching out. Acts 4, they're arrested and told not to preach. And they, what do they do? They preach. Far be it from us to fear you. We fear God. We'll serve Him. They were more concerned about people that needed to hear than their own safety. I, I, I was amazed this week, and I, I've got to share this story. We had the opportunity to go to New Orleans and meet some of our NAM church planters. A young man who's moved his family into one of the roughest, most difficult neighborhoods that you can possibly imagine. His church plant, one of our Southern Baptist church plants, is meeting in the Healing Center, which is a voodoo temple in New Orleans. You say, why in the world would he meet there? Well, he probably is going to find some prospects. Amen? We told the story Wednesday night. The one man goes to Africa and he's going to be a shoe salesman and he gets there frustrated, says, bring me home. Nobody here wears shoes. Another man sent over from the same company and he telegraphs back and says, send all the shoes you can send. Nobody wears shoes here. Some of you will go home and get that later. There are lost people all around us, but we're not going to find them huddled up in here. We've got to be externally focused. That means there are going to be days if we're honestly going to reach this community, we're going to talk to people that are different than us. We're going to smell alcohol at times. We're going to see drug addiction around us. We're going to see poverty around us. It's going to be messy, but it's worth every bit of it if we see people saved. We'll have to reach across cultural lines. We'll have to reach across racial lines. We'll have to reach across generational lines. There'll be music at times that, that I don't like or you don't like. And I'm not saying, I know some of you are already saying, Brother Scott's want to change everything. I'm just saying, I want to do whatever it takes to see people saved. I'm not interested in turning this into something it's not. I want it to be what it's supposed to be. They were externally focused. They were supernaturally united. 
Number three, and I'm going to have to shut it down. We'll pick up next week. The early church knew that holiness mattered. There's a story in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. There are a couple who sold a piece of property, lied about what they gave, and God killed them both dead. What if God began to kill the disobedient on instant impact? I thought about that one time. What if God just started, as the offering plate was passed, if people in their hearts were lying about their giving, I imagine some people in the back would be grabbing for their checkbook if people just started falling out dead. Don't you think? And that sounds facetious, but God is still holy, my friend. And we've played around with respectable sins. We can gossip and we can glut ourselves and we can do all kinds of things. Now he's not preaching, he's meddling. I know that. The reality is, Holiness matters, and when our church stands up with a holy standard and says, we will not tolerate sinful talk, we will not tolerate sinful activity, you know what they did in the book of Acts? If somebody was in habitual sin, they actually brought them to a place of church discipline and would vote them out. And the Bible says if you do that, then you, per- you treat them like unbelievers. What do we do with unbelievers? We pursue them with the gospel. They love them enough to say the church matters, holiness matters folks we're going to turn up the heat on discipleship Sunday school classes can no longer just be about football or shopping or baseball or hunting or fishing or the weather it's got to come to a place where you and I say we're going to study the word of God and we're going to leave this place prayed up full and go out and be spent for the gospel that's what it's going to take our time is coming to an end we're going to share in a baptism together. I, I could preach for hours and hours and, and in my power never convince anybody. I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit's spoken to somebody and you would just simply respond to the gospel today. L- let me give you instructions. We're going to do two things today. One, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. It's a time of decision. Staff members will be here at the front. If you need to be saved, you come on now. If you need to come to the altar, come on. If you need to go apologize to somebody, go do it. After our time of decision, we're going to dismiss, but we're going to stay around if you're interested. Brother Dawson has four or five folks that have been saved over the last couple of weeks. We have some folks that have been saved in our church, and we're going to have baptism service. We wanted to do it together. We're not going to keep you all afternoon, but we're going to meet in just a little bit. And if you'd like to stay, we would love for you to be a part of that right after this service's conclusion. I'm so thankful, so thankful. Hear me. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church to be the pastor of this church. I'm not beating us up saying we ought to be something that we can't be. The Bible says clearly through Christ we can do all things. I just want us to come back to the place where we say, Jesus, you are in control of Hardy Street Baptist Church. You are in control of our lives, and we surrender to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for even an experience where we see a demon responding to one who would be religious. God, may we threaten hell by our very existence, by our activity. God, if there's someone today that needs to be saved, I pray, God, that they would trust you this hour. Have your will during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all